Let's do that hockey. Welcome back to Dauber Prospects Radio. This is episode 104, and it'll be the second installment of this season's top 10 rankings for each NHL organization. And this episode is focusing on the Arizona Coyotes. And I am pleased to be joined by this episode's guest host, none other than uh, Mr. Craig Morgan, the uh, Arizona Coyotes expert, member of Professional Hockey Writers Association. Craig, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate you giving me the time. Of course, Peter. Happy to be here. Uh, so most of you uh, would already know who Craig is. Uh, for those of you who don't, catch him on his Twitter handle, at Craig S. Morgan. And he's got you covered for all things Arizona Coyotes, for sure. And uh, he's just a pretty good follow for anything hockey-related, too. Uh, so, Craig, let's uh, let's tuck in and start talking about the Arizona Coyotes. Um, before we start talking about individual prospects, just kind of my overall sense on this team. And I'm in Ontario in Kingston and, and you're in Arizona, so you're way closer connected to the team and familiar with them. But from the outside looking in, this looks like a team that's sort of in perpetual rebuild. I mean, since they moved from Winnipeg, they've they've been not very great. Uh, I'm not sure how many times they've made the playoffs or, or won a playoff round, but I could probably count it on one hand. Um, and for a team that you know th- you would think has been rebuilding, they'd be much better at it. I mean, I don't want to say disparaging team things about the team you're covering, and <laughs> I don't want to get you in hot water or anything. But uh, uh, what do you see their their trajectory and their history, and and what's the plan with this team? Well, you're absolutely right that they've been doing this for far too many years. And, and I think that all starts uh, with, with ownership because they've just had so much flux in ownership. They've had so many different ownership groups. Of course, way back in 2009, Jerry Moyes tried to put the team into bankruptcy. The NHL took it over for four years. And then it's, it's been a string of owners since Alex Morello has only been here, you know, a, a couple of years, not quite. So it it's, it really filters down to the rest of the club when you don't have stable ownership. Um, And clearly the biggest impact is in finances. They haven't had the money to throw at scouting or development or bringing in free agents on the, you know, the odd occasion where they want to do that or really retaining even their own players. So it's, it's been a a troubling history. They had that nice little run when Dave Tippett was the coacher where they made the playoffs three straight years, went to the Western conference final in 2012. and, And since then, They've only qualified for the playoffs one time, in, and then that, of course, was in the uh, COVID-shortened season when they expanded the playoff format and they won their qualifying series. So, <laughs> yes, they have been rebuilding a lot, and I think one of the biggest problems is when they have started those rebuilds, they've abandoned them midstream. They've done things like going out and get getting Phil Kessel or Taylor Hall and adding them to a team that wasn't ready to do anything more than simply compete for a playoff spot rather than sticking with it. I think what you're seeing right now, and we'll see if they stick with that plan, is a true rebuild. Bill Armstrong has really stripped this thing down to the studs. He's acquired a ton of draft picks. He's shed a lot of salary and and, and contracts, some of which were viewed as bad contracts. And they really are starting over. This is going to be a bad team for a couple seasons. So the prospects are a great place to start this discussion. Yeah. Uh, One of the other... Definitely agree with you on their financial and ownership problems. They, you know, it seems to be a, a broken record with their arena uh, saga as well. Um, another 
concern I think that is is right up there is I don't really think that they have a very good track record of drafting and developing with an emphasis on the development. Um, you know, you go back and I think about their drafts that they've had in the past and on draft day, I've looked at, you know, the picks that they've made and I thought well, that's good to very good and okay. You know, nothing egregious uh, that I saw on, on the draft board for them on draft days. But then when you look back and you think, okay, so how many, you know, first round picks have they missed on in the last decade and, or guys that were either a bust or, or just aren't with the team for one reason or another. And it's a laundry list, like Strom, Merkley, Brendan Perlini, Max Domi, Henrik Samuelson, Connor Murphy, Mikkel Bodker, Victor Tikhanov, some guy called Nick Ross. And these are all first round picks that are no longer with the team anymore and, you know, are, are still young enough to be relevant NHL players. Um, what do you think about their overall drafting and then their overall development? Well, both have been abysmal. There's, there's no other way to put it. Um, and again, that goes back to resources, right? You, you have to have the scouting staff in place to identify the right players. And in some instances you can say they did, but then they failed in the development. Um, Don Maloney told me while he was a general manager here that while the NHL owned the team, they had one part-time scout canvassing all of Europe. Imagine proceeding that way and missing out on all, all that talent. He said they basically gave up on Europe and had to focus on North America. It's insane to think about that. But on, on the occasions when they've drafted players where you're like, okay, maybe this guy will pan out. Often they've rushed them to the NHL rather than letting them bake in the, the AHL rather than letting them develop, they've rushed a lot of these players like a Kyle Turris or a Dylan Strom. I could, I could just keep naming players, Mikhail Bodker, Peter. We'll Mueller. name a few on this list. Yeah. yeah. There's so many, so many examples of that uh, where, where they just weren't ready to make the jump and it hurt their confidence. It hurt their development. They've, they've made that mistake repeatedly. This current regime and Bill Armstrong has some track record to suggest that he's going to stick to his words believes in overbaking guys in the AHL, believes in drafting the right players, you know, and, and using, using your scouting staff, really de, uh, hiring a good scouting staff that can identify the right players. And if you look at where they have put their resources uh, in the past year, they really have put a lot into scouting, bringing Daryl Plandowski over from Tampa Bay, bringing experienced scouts like Ryan Jankowski or Pete, uh, or, or uh, I, I can name a lot of guys. I don't want to go through the entire scouting staff, but they have invested resources here. And now they're investing in, in development as well. They just brought Scotty Pellerin in. So there is a clear emphasis on that area and an acknowledgement that they have failed in those areas in the past. Clearly this ownership group and this management group isn't responsible for the mistakes that have been made in the past, but they do recognize where those mistakes have been made. And they're trying to rectify that and chart a different course. All right. Well, let's let's start talking about the future. And uh, this GM's first pick, uh, they didn't have a pick going into this first round pick of their own going into the 2020, uh, 2021 draft. Uh, but they did pick some up in, in trades uh, and they get the ninth overall pick and selected Dylan Gunther. And he automatically becomes their, the top ranked prospect in this system by my rankings. I'm not sure if you would have him ahead of some of the other guys that are going to come up. I think there's a the three characters are in contention from the number one ranking. Uh, but I took Dylan Gunther. I like his uh, I like his upside. You know, he's got decent size. Um, he's a good skater and he's just he's just a goal scorer. He's got such a tremendous shot. He's got an NHL level shot. And when you can score goals, that's that's a valuable commodity at the NHL at any level. Um 
do you have Gunther kind of right at the top of the list as well or, or right around there? I do have him number one. I just think he has such a, an overall package. He's, he's good in all facets of the game. And, and I know that there were some people that had him rated as high as number three in this draft. So they were thrilled. They, you know, you always hear from GMs that they got their guy and they, they were worried that he wasn't going to drop. I, I really think that was the case in this instance. I think the Coyotes were considering trading out of that spot. If Dylan Gunther wasn't available at that spot, they might've dra- uh, traded down. They really wanted him badly. So they were thrilled not only to get into the first round when they didn't have a first round pick. Of course, they made that trade with Colorado involving Darcy Kemper. They, they made the Vancouver trade as well. We can, we can talk about all that if you want, but they were thrilled to get back into the first round and then to get a player, the caliber of Dylan Gunther. Yeah. He automatically rockets to the top of the list. Yeah. I mean, he didn't have much of a, much of a season in his draft year. He was limited to a short, short season in the WHL who at least had a season. And then he was pretty impressive with team Canada at the U 18s as an alternate captain as well. Uh, point a game on a loaded Canadian roster that didn't have problems scoring goals. Uh, and he helped them win the gold medal. Uh, so I think, you know, he's uh, he's a long term prospect. He's got two more years of, of junior eligibility in, in the WHL that I'm pretty confident that he'll play through that out. And based on what you told me about the GM, that he might even have some AHL seasoning time. So we're talking, you know, three years, probably at best, maybe maybe four. More immediate help on the horizon uh, is coming in the next two guys. I think they're. They're both going to be on the roster this year. Three, actually. Um, the, so the number two ranked guy I had is, is defenseman Victor Soderstrom. Uh, he had a, a very interesting season starting the year overseas uh, on loan in uh, hockey Al Svenken. Uh, then he, you know, he played some games with the world junior team with Sweden. He had some time on the AHL roster, 32 games. And then I think he finished the season in the NHL, getting a cup of coffee, four games, scored his first goal, first assist. Uh, do you have him right after Dylan Gunther on your list as well? I do. Uh, Victor Soderstrom and Barrett Hayden, I, we're talking about those two players, I assume, um, yeah. as potential for this the roster this year. And yeah, I think it's fair to put both of those guys in the two and three slots. Some people may flip them, but it doesn't matter that much. I'm really curious to see what happens with both of those players. Um Victor doesn't have a lot of experience on the North American ice. And, and based on what Bill has told me in the past, I'm, I'm not fully confident he's going to be on the NHL roster this season. In fact, I know that the Coyotes are looking for another defenseman that they're probably going to add to the NHL roster. It may be difficult for Victor to crack this roster, and they may just prefer for him not to be in an environment where the team is losing all the time. They may want him to just develop in the AHL with a bunch of their other prospects that are pieces of their future where they can have some success, where they can play those heavy minutes in all situations. It'll be interesting to watch. Um, I don't think we have enough of a sense of what he can do yet because it's just been, it's just been so disjointed the last two seasons. And, and if you don't mind, I'll hop right into Barrett Hayton on that list as well. You want to talk about a guy who's had two just really disjointed seasons I mean, they, they thought a couple of years ago he was going to be on the roster. He, he, stayed, he stayed there early. He went to the World Juniors, had a terrific tournament, and then he got injured right before the final game, so he couldn't hop back into the lineup, couldn't find his way in. Then you have COVID hit. I feel badly for Barrett Hayton. He just hasn't had a chance to establish any sort of continuity, and I also know that they weren't that happy with him and his performance. Uh, even when he got to Tucson, they, they didn't think he was taking enough strides. Again, it would not surprise me if both of those guys ended up 
playing the the majority of the season in Tucson, but we'll see how it goes because clearly there are, there are plenty of holes on the Coyotes roster, plenty of opportunities to play. Right. And well, we were talking a minute ago about their development system. And I think these are two good examples. I think Victor Sorsrum has been kind of developing nicely. And that's mainly because he's been in, in Sweden for most of his career up until last year when he came over, you know, midway through the season. Barry Hayton is a prime example of, of how he's been mismanaged. Um, you know, he started the season in, in, in the Liga and then he was on the taxi squad or the roster as a healthy scratch playing with Tucson. Uh, the year before that, he, you know, you alluded to how he was injured in a little bit and missed some time there. But and I just look at the number of game plays games played he's had in the last two seasons. And I think it's not nearly enough. Even if you combine the amount of games he's played in the last two seasons, it's still low for a regular season's slate. So we had a, a podcast not too long ago. We were talking about um, caller candidates and um, it was the fantasy hockey five-hole podcast I was guesting on. And they were asking me about Barrett Hayden. And, and my thought was, I don't think he should play in the NHL this season. And I think he should play full-time in the AHL. Um, to the point where he gets his confidence to such a high level that you know he goes into training camp the following season not thinking, gee, I hope I make the team this year, but the opposite where he's like, I'm making this team because there's no way they can keep me off it anymore. I'm too good to not be in the NHL. Yeah. Uh, and I think you get that from you know playing a full season in the in the American Hockey League and being the go-to guy, carrying the mail and having success. And he's not going to get that playing in the NHL, being a healthy scratch, being in the press box, eating popcorn on the occasion. Uh, so anyways, those, those are the top three. Uh, we go Gunther, Soderstrom, Barrett Hayton, and you can make that the a, a top tier. And then you go to the next level there. And I think the top of this list has got to be uh, another two-man race between Connor Timmons and Yan Yannick. Uh, I really like both these players. They both have some NHL experience. Um, I give the edge to Connor Timmons. Uh, I'd like to see him play the full season there in Arizona. He was at one time a, a really high-end prospect, and he's had some some pretty nasty injuries that cost him over an entire season of development. Uh, but he's been slowly regaining traction and uh, and, and getting it back. Um, Twenty-seven points in forty games. Uh, his production dipped a little bit last year, uh, but I still think he's a he's a prospect that has the potential to be a top pairing guy for this franchise in the future with someone like Jacob Chekrin or Victor Soderstrom. Um, what's your assessment on Connor Timmons? Yeah, I think a, a lot of people, I, I think the biggest knock on Connor Timmons is his skating ability. Will he be able to do what he needs to do at the NHL level, but he's a very intelligent player. He makes the good first pass. He's got very good vision. And I think that might be a way for him around it. He, he's not that physical in spite of his size. So I think that may be something that they look a little more to, to him to, to add to his game. Um, but again, the skating, we'll, we'll see how that progresses as he comes along. But I agree with you. I, I think he's going to get a chance actually to play in the top four this year. I, I don't think he'll play with um, Jacob Chikrin. I think that's going to be Anton Strawman that's, that's paired with him. But I think you're talking about a top four guy here. He's going to get a lot of minutes and a lot of chances for the Coyotes. Yeah, I don't think he'll be a, a top pairing guy right away but i think he has the upside to to reach that that level of or status level in his career where he's you know a one-two defenseman on this team maybe 
Uh, the next guy was uh, Yan Yannick. Um, yeah. I really like him. He's he's a, a rough and tumble kind of guy with some offensive upside as well. Uh, I was really impressed with the games I saw him play live in the OHL in his final season with Hamilton uh, before it was cut short by injury. Uh, last year was his first pro season, and it was, you know, again, short of a short season because of the pandemic. So this is a guy who's had his development stunted a little bit by circumstances beyond his control but i really like his stat line from last season 14 points in 29 games with tucson with 50 penalty minutes and he just you know hits guys like it's his job um you know so if you're in a league that has you know the the rotisserie points hits penalty minutes shots goals uh i think yannick is a guy that uh, should be able to stuff a bunch of those stats I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, you know, the, if he went into training camp with a position to lose, he had to, he would have to play his way off the roster. Uh, I would think based on uh, the way his trajectory has been going for his career. Um, what's your, what's your analysis on Mr. Yannick? He's an agitator. They absolutely love the style of play. And I think he fits well. I know Rick Tockett loved him while he was here and he actually made a big impression in training camp for Tockett. Bill Armstrong feels the same way about him. He, he brings the right sort of attitude and compete level. He's a net front guy. He'll do those sorts of things for them. They think he has a offensive upside as well. So they're very excited about him as a prospect. I, you know, of, of all these guys, you mentioned that he's going to have to work his way off the roster. I am really curious about him in training camp because I know a lot of the players love him. First of all, he's impressed a lot of people around here and he's very hungry to earn a spot right now. So he's going to be one to watch in camp. I think another one to watch is uh, winger Matthias Michelli. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name, right? That's how I say it. Um, so he's a, a fourth round draft pick. So he doesn't necessarily have the, the golden ticket pedigree that some of these other first round picks have. Um, so he's not going to be given necessarily quite as many opportunities as as first round guys but you know he's a little undersized too 5'11 165 and I think that might have something to do with you know why he fell down on draft day and was a fourth round guy another concern would have been uh that he's got some some issues with his skating as well um have you think that his skating deficiencies have been resolved i'm not sure how much you've seen of him play uh he's spent a lot of time in in the liga but he is familiar with north america he he did play two junior seasons with the ushl as a matter of fact so he's already north american climatized you know with the the smaller rinks and the culture and the language and all that um how's his skating coming along and uh you see him playing a full season in the ahl or could he get a cup of coffee up with, with the coyotes as well yeah, his skating has actually progressed significantly. Uh, they've been monitoring that and working with him on that. Um, they love his skill level. Um, one of the things that they really wanted to see from him, though, is playing inside the dots. He has a tendency to play far too much on the perimeter, uh, a type of a type of game that with the role he's going to fill probably isn't going to lead to a lot of success in the NHL. Um, I do see him playing the vast majority of the season in Tucson. He's probably going to get a quick call up. A lot of these guys will probably get a cup of coffee with the NHL just to give them a taste. I think that's good in the development process to bring them up, but he's a guy that they want to see, you know, establish his sea legs in the AHL. Another thing that I found really interesting when I was doing my research for this um, Arizona rankings is I was looking at their their cap situation on cap friendly. And I noticed that they have three players under contract after this season on their forward roster in Clayton Keller, Nick Schmaltz and Andrew Ladd. 
Um, you know, you've got some guys who I don't think will be renewed with the team. Some veterans like Anton Roussel, Jay Beagle, maybe Johan Larson, Ryan Dezingle. These guys, Louis Erickson, for sure. Phil Kessel, will, if he gets another contract, he'll probably look elsewhere as well. So yeah, he could be traded during the season. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised he's not traded already. Um, <laughs> that's it. Well, that's another episode. Um, so there's going to be an abundance of opportunity on the roster next mm-hmm. season. There'll be all kinds of opportunity for promotion. Uh, and I'm sure Arizona will also make some trades or sign some free agents and acquire some guys. But I mean, you get 12 positions and only three of them are filled right now. Uh, Lawson Krauss and Christian Fisher are restricted free agents. They'll, they'll likely be back as well. So that makes five, but you know, there's, there's still a lot of jobs to be had there. And I don't think there's really much question that if they don't make it this year, you're looking at no later than next year for Michelli and, and Jan Yannick. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. They will have to make some moves. It's funny you mentioned Keller and, and Nick Schmaltz, and you look at those contracts, those are probably the two big albatross contracts other than Oliver Ekman-Larsen, who is gone now, that people look at from the John Chaika era and say, wow, why did, why did they do that? And quite frankly, if the Coyotes had been able to move those contracts, they might have moved those as well. Um, Bill Armstrong was simply looking for assets, trying to add future pieces. That's what he, his entire MO has been this offseason. Um, but it, it is going to be really interesting to see what they do next season because there are so many positions available. I have to believe a couple of these guys are going to make the jump. But, you know, while, the, while they're developing some of those other prospects that they draft, you know, they have eight picks in the first two rounds of next year's draft. They may go with some short-term guys again just to, uh, you know, hold the spaces, keep them warm while, while these guys are developing. Yeah, 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 it makes sense, right? I mean, you could probably even gain assets by taking uh, a veteran player on an expiring contract that the other team just wants to kind of purge, you know? Um, you, you can get a, a maybe a prospect or, or a pick for uh that rental basically that negative rental <laughs> uh okay so the next guy on my list and just to recap so carp we've got uh dylan gunther victor soderstrom barrett hayton connor timmons jan yannick and matthias michelli as the top six i think you and i are we t- kind of talked about this on on chat on twitter i think we're on the same page uh up to this point maybe as well with the next ranked guy i have on my list and that's goalie um ivan prosvetsov how do you pronounce that correctly it's it's prosvetov yeah prosvetov thank and you it, and it's it's matthias michelli that's that's the pronunciation there i get these it's funny jan jan yik that's how his last name is pronounced actually yin yik he's he, he asked me uh if i would pronounce it correctly because he keeps hearing it pronounced incorrectly but these <laughs> european names are sometimes just brutal for american and canadian writers <laughs> uh sometimes <laughs> yeah yeah we just ignore right. punctuation and everything that goes along with those names so i've already forgotten how to pronounce them <laughs> i don't want to be like don cherry this is not by this is not my my shtick not by design i, I, I come by it honestly uh okay so uh the goalie ivan prosvetov uh 22 years old i really don't know much about him but i you know i've never seen him play live uh i, I haven't seen him play uh in an ahl game uh, or an NHL game, even on TV. Uh, he did have a season in the OHL with Saginaw, but they're in the West and I'm in the East. So, you know, I never, I didn't catch him with Saginaw as well. So I don't really have much of a file of my own on this guy. So I'm going to rely on you to kind of help me out with this one. Well, he's big. He's incredibly athletic. He's got a very competitive attitude that sometimes gets him in hot water because he, he can get moving too much. He can get too emotional in games. And they're trying to work on that. 
But having said that, they are really, really high on Prozvitov. I talked to, you know, every every goaltending person that's run through this organization. Corey Schwab, of course, is still here. Brian DeCord is gone, but he he loved him as well. Zach Burke, when he worked with him down there, was high on him as well. They really think this guy has massive upside. As we all know, goaltenders can can often take a long time to develop, and it's really hard to read them. I mean, the Coyotes had a classic example of it in Darcy Kemper, who went through several teams where it just didn't look like he'd ever be an NHL goalie, and now he's a an elite NHL goalie. It can take time for these guys to develop, and they are willing to be patient with him because they really think he has elite skill. Another interesting thought I just had about this was at the top we were talking about how you know they have kind of mismanaged some of their development. Uh, you know, last season he played three NHL games and 18 AHL games. He was with the Coyotes for a little bit as a, you know, a backup on the taxi squad, et cetera, et cetera. Um, do you think he maybe, they maybe kind of stalled his development a little bit or uh, it was such a short season anyways, cause of COVID it just kind of was what it was or, yeah, um, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you think they'll manage him? I don't know how to evaluate anyone during COVID. I honestly, right. it almost feel like you should just throw it out the window. But yeah. when you look at their goaltending situation last year with the NHL, I mean, Antiranta simply couldn't stay healthy. So they always needed someone up here. That was a huge problem. Darcy Kemper was hurt as well. So they were forced into that situation with Prozvitov bringing him up. I'm certain they didn't want to do it. But when you have both of your, your goaltenders getting hurt significantly during the season, you don't have much of a choice. I think they'll try and keep him down in Tucson and let him be the number one guy and just let him play as much as possible. But, you know, sometimes the best laid plans go out the window when, when circumstances change it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I had him at number seven. Uh, do you see any holes in my list here? Have I overrated someone or if I got someone that should have been on the list by now that it's not? Not dramatically. No, I mean, I might put Prozvatov ahead of Michelli, but it, it's, you know, that's, that's just parse that's splitting hairs at that point. Those, those would be my top seven guys as well. All right. I think we might, uh, we might have something to talk about with number eight. I had Kyle Capobianco here. Uh, again, another, um, you know, not a super high pedigree. He's a third round pick, but he's 24 years old now. Uh, and he doesn't have a whole lot of NHL experience under his belt. So my question is, is this an example of they're actually being patient with this player and letting him incubate in the AHL? Or do they just not like him enough to promote him? They're just not seeing enough production there. I mean, he's got 112 points and 155 career AHL games that on paper, looks very good um how do the how do you think the coyotes see this 24 year old defenseman is, is he gonna make the roster this year um could he even have fantasy relevance i mean he's got some pretty good offensive numbers in the a he could certainly make the roster if they don't make another move on their blue line but i think they're going to make another move uh, what happened with kyle capobianco when he first came up they were really excited about his puck moving ability his offensive ability he had that acl injury late in the season and since then he hasn't looked like the same player. He's looked tentative. He's made a lot of mistakes on the ice. Quite honestly, the coaching staff has just been really frustrated with him the last couple of seasons. I don't think that they're nearly as high as on him as they used to be. Um, in fact, there, were, there was a time where I thought he was going to be part of a trade package. I thought he was going to be moving out of town. He's got a, a really important season ahead of him. He needs to prove something this year because I don't know what his future is beyond this season. Um, I don't have Kyle Capobianco in my time top 10 prospects for the Coyotes. And I, I don't think the staff here lists him among their top 10. Okay. Uh, well, maybe I'm wrong on that one. Uh, so 
his offensive upside you don't you don't see that translating in the nhl then well I, it still could and that there were flashes of it when he first came up but he he just hasn't shown it the last couple seasons yeah fair enough all right so the next player i have on my list is this is a guy who i really wanted to rank a little bit higher um and maybe i could have put him where Kyle Capobianco was, but he just didn't play very much last season. Uh, John Farinacci is a Harvard commit and Ivy League didn't play last year, just like the OHL. So, you know, he was a he was a hockey team refugee. He ended up playing seven games in the USHL, uh, lit it up for eight points. And he played for USA at the World Juniors as well, where, again, he put up seven points in seven games. He did play last season um in harvard in the ncaa as a as a freshman with 22 points in 31 games you know he's uh he's got the draft 33rd round 76 overall so he's got a little bit of uh draft credibility to him is this a player you think uh maybe on next year's list after a good season in harvard again he could find his way um much higher on this ranking yeah i, I he's teddy donato's uh nephew obviously so there's a relation to the harvard coach there he uh after he uh played for in the ushl and, and played internationally he made the decision to go down to florida and just train he worked with his teammates down there and really worked on his body that was his focus um obviously he didn't play a lot of games but it was again so disjointed he really wanted to focus on that area the coyotes are really impressed with him he uh, bill armstrong said this uh, when we talked to him um, I don't remember how long ago it was, but he said, John Farinacci finds a way to make an impact no matter what level he's playing. He's a smart player. They really like what he brings to the game. So yeah, I, I think this kid has some potential. He, he's not going to be a, a, probably a top six center in the NHL, but maybe he can slot in a, as a number three guy or even a number four guy. I think he can be a very effective centerman in the NHL. Yeah, I like him too. I, I think he's going to find a way to make it to the NHL. And I think he's going to find a way to, to make himself a relevant player also, uh, both for the Coyotes and for people who own him in their fantasy leagues. Uh, so I had him at number nine on my list, if I'm not mistaken. And number 10, I kind of threw a dart on number 10. You didn't have this guy on your top 10 list. Um, but I kind of like Liam Kirk. I, I know I think he could have the potential to have a really good story. So maybe I'm just making this selection with my heart and not with my head, but I saw him play a little bit with the Peets and I like the tenacity that he plays with, you know, he's, he's born in great Britain. So, you know, not a lot of hockey players have come out of there. Uh, he's a seventh round 189th overall pick from 2018. So no draft, uh, credibility there really. Um, and you know, he had good seasons, two seasons with the Pete's where he put up 47 and 50 points. Uh, and then last year with no OHL, he couldn't play for the Pete's. So he was in Europe and, you know, he was okay over there. And then he played for the world championships with Britain and played against NHL players in that tournament. And he looked pretty good, scored seven goals and nine points in seven games and quickly got himself signed to an NHL contract with, uh, with Arizona after that and is slated to come back and play in the AHL this season with the Roadrunners. So now, while I don't think this guy is going to have a, a huge impact and be much more than, you know, maybe a, maybe a fringe player. So there's, there's probably a couple other players who maybe are, are more of a long shot to make the NHL, but have a higher, uh, have a higher ceiling than he does, but he made my top 10. What's your take on, on Liam Kirk? 
Well, first of all, it's it's really hard not to root for this guy because it's right? such a wonderful story. Uh, you, you know, you're not coming from a hockey hotbed in any stretch of the imagination. And then he's got so many other incredible angles to his story. Actually, I have a big piece moving on him on Friday. I've talked to so many people in his life. He's he's basically carrying the hopes of the UK hockey community on his shoulders, which is one heck of a weight. But he, he seems to handle it with such modesty and, and ease. It's It's a wonderful story. I don't think the Coyotes were going to sign him to an ELC this season. Um, based on, you know, the, the opinions of the scouting staff and the development staff, I'm not sure they thought he was ready. Bill Armstrong had a, uh, a conversation with Liam Kirk and came away so impressed with the kid's drive and desire to get to this level that he said, we, we just have to do it. We have to give this kid an opportunity. So good for Liam for earning that spot. As you mentioned, he's a low draft pick. Few of these guys ever make it to the NHL, but boy, if he does, what a story it will be. Yeah, I'm cheering for him. Uh, okay, so that's the top 10. Uh, if Liam Kirk didn't make your list, who was, who was the next player on it? I had a couple other players because I didn't have Kyle on here either. I had Ilya Fedotov, who they just drafted this year in the second round. Um, pretty high on him as well. Uh, it's hard to judge, of course. When you haven't seen him on the, you know, on on the uh, NHL ice or the North American ice, and you don't get a lot of um, highlights of him, but the scouting staff is really high on him. Um, so I had him at actually at at number eight ahead of Farinacci, and then at number ten. And I know there's a lot of disagreement on this pick. I had Josh Doan. Um, I have followed his career very closely because he's of course Shane Doan's son, and I've seen, you know, I, I've written this several times. Josh has been a late bloomer for several years. It has taken him a while because to grow into his body, but he just keeps impressing. And what he did with the steal last season was remarkable. Uh, he had a terrific season in the USHL. You know, I asked, I just bluntly asked the scouting staff, uh, Ryan Jankowski and Daryl Plandowski on draft day, did you do this just because of the name? Was this, was this a, a, a draft pick that you made as a favor? And he said, if it had been a favor, we would have done it last year. We're really high on this player. We don't think we elevated him above where he deserved to go. There is there is a lot of disparity on on that take. Uh, I've seen a lot of people not like the pick, and I've seen a lot of people uh, really defend it and say, you know, it it makes sense based on his his skill level and his development and where he projects, and the fact that his last name is is Doan doesn't hurt. Yeah. Um. Okay. So th so there's there's one uh one player uh, there's two. Uh, Fedorov and, and Joan and Don again, 21 draft picks. Uh, so some other guys that have a little bit more uh, age under their belts. Uh, one player I'm really curious about who probably is not on a lot of people's radar is Ben McCartney. Uh, he's a player that's come out of the WHL and he's a left winger. He's a big burly guy. He's got some pretty good offensive um production under his belt and in, in his seasons he's 20 years old six foot 183 but he was a seventh round pick in 2020 uh he made his debut at the end of the season or at the beginning of the season with arizona uh, tucson last year five points in four games he'll be on the the team full-time this season in the ahl uh what's your what's your expectations or, or hopes for his rookie season in the ahl uh, it's just a wait and see on him. And again, a seventh round pick, but he brings the, the, the tools that you just mentioned. He's a, a very physical, basically a power forward. Uh, I'm not sure he has high offensive upside, but we'll see. Uh, uh, when you go in the seventh round, clearly there are a lot of knocks on your game and skating is one of them for him. 
we'll see how he develops down there. Um, but he, he's certainly a player to watch. Um, I don't, I don't know how, if you want to mention some of the others or, or if you want to handle that first, but I have a couple of guys on my list that I, I really think bear watching because they're right-handed defensemen in Cam Crotty and Ty Emerson. Both of those guys are going to play in Tucson as well. Um, they're not going to be necessarily offensive players, but I think they can be stay at home defensemen and fill a role on an NHL team. Uh, I, I think they like both of those players. So I would put them on the, uh, so sort of the also ran or honorable mention list. Yeah, Cam Crotty is a, a player who he's kind of been on my watch list for a while now. Um, you know, he comes from my neck of the woods for starters, uh, an Ottawa guy. He played just down the road in the CCHL with the Brockville Braves. And then he played for the Boston University. And I got a bit of a soft spot for, for Boston U as, as I own a, a Boston Terrier and I love her all to death. <laughs> So, you know, I've seen him play a lot. I watch the Bean Pod. I, I catch Boston University games whenever I can on TV. Uh, and he's been a player that, like, to your point, I really like him. He's impressive. I think he impacts the game in a really positive way. Not necessarily from a fantasy point of view. I don't think, you know, he's got 10 points as his career year in, in three seasons in the NCAA. So I don't think that's going to translate to a lot of fantasy value once he makes it to the NHL, but I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he crept his way into the roster in a year or two, I mean, this will be his uh, second pro season. He played 32 games in Tucson last year and he's still only 22. So there's a lot to like there, but I think my fantasy slant kind of kept him off my, off my ranking here. Um, another player who we could talk about real quick is, uh, Aku Ratu, uh, the Atu Ratu's older brother. Um, we know all about him and he was the, you know, top ranked prospect going into the draft and then fell, 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 fell. Uh, and his brother doesn't have the same sort of upside, but you know, doesn't have the high ceiling, but his floor isn't too bad either. Uh, I would not be surprised if this is another, uh, you know, not unlike, um, what I just said about Cam Crotty, that, that he could work his way into a roster, maybe not have a lot of fantasy upside, but be a valuable player for the team. Yeah, I haven't heard a lot of chatter about him from the current management and scouting staff. Of course, he was he was a pick under John Chaika and that scouting staff. So I haven't heard a lot of chatter about him, but he is an intriguing prospect. You also want to keep an eye on guys like uh, Janice Moser and, and, and Vladislav Kolyachanuk. Those are two other players. You know, they got Kolyachanuk in that, in that trade. Um, he was a high draft pick for Tampa. So two other players probably to keep an eye on. Um, and that probably rounds out that list of players that I would discuss at this point. Yeah, I didn't have any more after that either. It's not the deepest of pools for a team that's been in a rebuild for 10, 20 years here, bud. Yeah, eight picks <laughs> in the first two rounds next year. I, I think it's going to get a lot deeper if they keep all those picks. It's insane. I reached out to NHL stats, and if they execute all eight of those picks in the first two rounds, that will be an NHL record. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Well, uh, you're going to, you know, you're, you're definitely not a bandwagon here being a, an Arizona writer, but, uh, you know, once, once all these kids come around to fruition and, and eventually if they get this drafting and developing sorted out and the rebuilds built, uh, you'll, have, uh, you'll have a lot of good hockey to watch, my man. We'll see, Peter. We've it's not before, so <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be this year. But if you know, if you guys get yourselves one of those top two or three picks in in the twenty twenty two draft, that'll uh, that'll be worth worth the pain. I think. Uh, you know, I'm I see a lot of Shane Wright play here in Kingston, and you know, I don't really see any holes in his game. He is one fine hockey player, and uh, it'd be you know, you look at teams like 
Buffalo and Edmonton and and they have a lot of draft picks and they find a way to not develop or draft them correctly. But you get guys like Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel and as hard as you try, you can't mess those guys up. Shane Wright's just like one of those. Yeah, right or Bedard would work. I, I I don't even know what it's like to cover a franchise center in Arizona. They haven't had one since Jeremy Roenick left town 20 years ago. Well, I've grown up a Leaf fan, and so I know how you feel until Austin Matthews came along. Yeah. Yeah, he had some nice wingers. Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's put a bow on this episode, Craig. Thanks very much for uh, coming on and, and sharing your uh, very valuable insider information and, and insight on uh, one of the uh, – one of the more interesting prospect pools in the NHL. Uh, so again, thanks to Craig Morgan. Give him a follow on Twitter um, at Craig S Morgan. Uh, you won't be disappointed. He's a member of professional hockey writers association and just a, just a real professional hockey journalist. So thanks for your time, Craig. Absolutely. Peter. It was a pleasure being here. All right. We'll see you all on the next episode when I'm talking Boston Bruins prospects till then keep your stick on the ice. <laughs>